Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Tuesday, August 30th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. South Sudan takes a small step today towards implementing the country's revitalized peace agreement. This day is a very important day in the history of the people of South Sudan because this marks the actual implementation of the agreement. Today is the start of pre-trial conference on the court challenges to Kenya's presidential election. Angolan President Joao Lorenzo wins the August 24th presidential election. Activists call the Malawi's president to end fuel and electricity strategies. Guinean stakeholders discuss democratic transition with ECOWAS mediator and former Benin President Bonin Yayi. Some of uh, the political actors are advocating for two years. My political party and the coalition that I'm leading is advocating for the three years period. An increased security allows the reopening of some schools in Cameroon's western regions. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. South Sudan will today, Tuesday, take one small step towards full implementation of the country's 2018 revitalized peace agreement when it graduates the first group of a unified army. President Salva Kiir has declared today a national holiday and urged citizens to attend the ceremony. The revitalized agreement calls for parties to train and graduate members of the unified army during the transitional period. But the government has fallen behind so many times, prompting the United United States to pull out of the monitoring process in July, citing the lack of sustained progress. Michael McQuee is South Sudan's Minister of Information. He tells me that today's graduation is important to the people of South Sudan because it marks the actual implementation of the 2018 Revitalized Peace Agreement. This day is a very important day in the history of the people of South Sudan and the people of South Sudan because this marks the actual implementation of the agreement. So all the people, those who are here inside Juba are expected to attend and all those who are outside Juba are expected to follow through the media. It is important because uh, this is the day the people of South Sudan has been longing for and this is why the president declared Tuesday as a public holiday so that people can attend. But um, there are many South Sudanese who are asking why this day has taken this long to come. Even though people were suspicious and accusing the government of South Sudan of dragging its feet and that it did not have the stamina and does not have the interest to implement the agreement, it is important now that we show those who were doubting the government of South Sudan or those doubting Thomases that the government of South Sudan meant to implement the agreement except that it had some obstacles. Those obstacles are the ones that brought about the delay not because the government of South Sudan did not intend or does not have the interest to implement the agreement. Now the day has come, we have made it, and uh, this is why they are being graduated Tuesday, the 30th of August. As you know, Minister, the U.S. government withdrew its support from the peace implementation process earlier this year, citing lack of sustained progress. Your comment, please. 
the withdrawal of the Americans from supporting the process. In fact, the Americans were supporting the security mechanisms within the agreement. And uh, despite their withdrawal, which was about two months ago, we managed to go through and we have now succeeded and we are graduating the forces without their support. However, they said that they will look into it and up to now we have not yet received their response. The reasons for the withdrawal, of course, are their own reasons, but what I know is that Americans are not signatories to the agreement. They have not signed it. They are members of Troika. Troika did not sign. The European Union did not sign. And the Friends of IGAD did not sign. But despite all these, they decided to come in to support the agreement. Now, the fact that they have pulled out from that support is not an issue. There are other good Samaritans who had offered to continue supporting the implementation of the agreement, and we have made it. As for the, the absence of the election law, that is not an excuse, actually, because it is not only the election law which is the problem. The problem is that the Constitution itself is not yet out. How do you talk of elections at a time when your Constitution is not yet out? And this is why the people of South Sudan have agreed to extend the period of implementation further so that we give chance for the proper formalization and drafting of the Constitution of the Republic of South Sudan. And it is thereafter that you can talk about the election law. Michael McQuee, South Sudan's Minister of Information, he was speaking with us from the capital, Juba. In Kenya, the pre-trial conference for petitions challenging the results of the August 9th presidential election is set to take place today, Tuesday. The chief registrar of the judiciary says the event will have observers from across the world to witness the ruling. At the same time, President-elect William Ruto has asked the Supreme Court to bar six members of the Electoral Commission from participating in the petition challenging his win. Maureen Ojiambo reports... From Nairobi. Last month, the presidential petitions were lodged at the Kenya Supreme Court seeking to overturn the victory of President-elect William Ruto. Key among the petitioners are Ruto's opponents as Mula Umoja, one Kenya coalition. It's led by former Prime Minister Ed Odinga, who lost to Ruto in the just-concluded general elections. Speaking in Nairobi yesterday, the Chief Registrar of the Judiciary, Anne Amade, said that Today's all seven of the court's judges will participate in the pre-trial conference. We also have had quite a number of interlocutory applications that have been filed by different parties. There are those who are asking to strike out the petitions. There are some who are seeking to, uh, to be included as interested parties. So these applications are being uh, considered and uh, all the rulings will be delivered to the respective parties electronically. We have some um, observers, judges from the Commonwealth countries led by the retired Chief Justice of uh, Tanzania, uh, Honorable Mohammed Othman, among other judges who will be joining us. After the pre-trial conference, the hearing of the petition will begin with the ruling set to be delivered on September 5th. Amadi says the judiciary is ready to undertake the task ahead. All the rulings relating to the interlocutory applications shall have been delivered so that the pretrial session begins without any pending applications. We have made sure that there is adequate security around. We have an ambulance in case somebody gets injured or somebody is taken ill during the process. 
So we are set and we are ready. And- On the other hand, President-elect William Ruto has written to the Supreme Court asking them to bar six members of the Electoral Commission from participating in the presidential election petition challenging his win. In an application, Ruto says only the commission and its chairman, Wafule Chebukate, should participate in the hearing scheduled to start on Wednesday. Ruto was declared the win of the August 9th general election after emerging with 50-plus-1% of the vote, a constitutional threshold that requires a winner in a presidential election to avoid a runoff. Ruto's win has, however, been challenged by nine petitioners who want the election nullified and a fresh poll conducted in accordance with the Law and Electoral Act. As of now... All eyes are on the judiciary to make the final decision come next Monday. Reporting for VOA's Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jumbo in Nairobi, Kenya. Angola's Electoral Commission has declared President Joao Lourenço the winner of the country's August 24th presidential election, taking 51% of all votes counted, and the main opposition national union for the total independence of Angola, UNITA, with 44%. UNITA leader Adalberto Costa Jr. says there are what he calls brutal discrepancies between the commission's count and his party's count. Does he have a legitimate claim? Viewers Carol Van Dam put that question to J.P. De Farm, a former U.S. ambassador and former special envoy to the Great Lakes region and a distinguished fellow at the Atlantic Council. I think all claims need to be heard, but what has been interesting has been this is the second time that the opposition has made these claims, but they've I haven't heard any specificity from any of their spokesmen about what irregularities they see. So, you know, the burden of proof is on the one making the the charge. From all accounts, the voting occurred in a peaceful manner. There might have been some irregularities here or there that observers have noted, but certainly nothing that points the way to anything that would have substantively changed the results of the election. Why did only fewer than half of Angola's registered voters turn out for the election, do you think, on Wednesday? I think, you know, this is a phenomenon we see actually in many developing democracies, maturing democracies. Uh, After an initial burst of enthusiasm, voting numbers, unfortunately, where there are not mandatory voting requirements, drop off as some people become disillusioned because of the pace of change is not as they perhaps unreasonably expected things to occur. The fact is the majority of Angolans did go to the polls, that the result was at all a nail-biter is itself, I think, a testament to the changes ongoing in the country. And while the MPLA retains a majority, it now no longer has the absolute majority of two-thirds required to affect significant change to the Constitution or other things without support from from other parties. So I think that will allow for more robust, hopefully, debate, and that's a good thing. So in many respects, I think this election represents a maturing of democracy in Angola, and despite irregularities, which need to be, of course, investigated and dealt with, I think it is a significant step forward. That's former U.S. Ambassador and former U.S. Envoy J.P. DeFarm, a distinguished fellow at the Atlantic Council. He was speaking with my colleague, Carol Van Dem. To Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Tuesday, August 30th. 
In Malawi, civil society and opposition groups are calling on the government to expedite action to solve ongoing fuel shortages and the load shedding of electricity. Local media report long queues from fuel scarcity in urban areas, including the capital Lilongwe and the commercial capital Blantyre. Supporters of the administration, however, say it appears the problem could be due to sabotage of existing infrastructure that is meant to embarrass the government and weaken its popular support. It comes as protesters demand that President Lastro Chakwera keep his promises to improve living conditions. Sylvester Namiwa is the executive director of the Center for Democracy and Economic Development Initiatives. It is uh, really unfortunate because what Malawians are seeing today is the first place they don't deserve what they are seeing. For example, we are currently experiencing unprecedented fuel shortage. There's no forex. There's the extended uh, blackouts in terms of electricity that goes uh, beyond 10 hours a day. Now, at the time when we are trying to demand answers from the authorities, there is nothing which has come out from them. At the second thought, one can think that the country is on autopilot. We don't have the leader because leadership is clearly manifested when there are challenges. This is the time when Malawi has expected to see someone who promised the servant leadership rising to the occasion, giving a clear roadmap as how he intends to solve the challenges that are facing the country. But Amiwa, the president and members of his government have come out to explain that they need a little bit of patience. They need to correct the mistakes of the past in order for their policies to bear fruit. So why don't you just give them a little patience? Government is a serious business. Now, the sooner the president accepts that part, the better. Because from where I'm standing, is a below average performer. In fact, his poor leadership style is to blame. As they say, poor leadership equals uh, bad economy. Malawi today is experiencing, as the area alluded to, all the signs of failed leadership because where there is no electricity, uh, where there is no forex, where there is no fuel, we don't expect the private sector to thrive. This Namiwa, some civil society groups and even some opposition party members have said that there appears to be sabotage of infrastructure that has led to the load shedding currently experienced by a lot of Malawi. Ever heard of a bad carpenter? The proverbial carpenter, bad carpenter, always blames his tools. This is exactly what Dr. Asasokera is doing. This is the third year of his administration. That is, two years is a long period to solve all, all such challenges. By the way, he was ushered into government on a promise that is going to fix the country. He knew that he was entering into a broken system and he promised Malawi to fix it. How long is he looking for, uh, for the patients? How long is he going to blame others? How long is he going to fix the country? These are the questions the president should answer. What he knows is the uh, global trading, jumping from one plane to another, hopping from one capital city to another capital city when Malawians are really struggling. Sylvester Namiwa is the executive director of the Center for Democracy and Economic Development Initiatives. He spoke with viewers Peter Clotty. 
The Economic Community of West African States ECOWAS mediator on Guinea and former Benin President Bonin Yayi concluded a week-long visit to Guinea on Sunday. During his trip, he met with stakeholders, including political parties, religious leaders, and the military junta. A member of the National Front for the Defense of the Constitution, FNDC, a group comprising civil society, political parties, and labor unions, told VOA that Yayi did not meet with the FNDC. The military junta, led by Colonel Mamadi Dumbuya, has proposed a three-year period to democratic rule, but ECOWAS prefer a two-year transition. Faya Minimuno is leader of the Liberal Bloc Party of Guinea. He's one of the political party leaders who met with Yayi. He tells me they discussed a wide range of issues, including the transition timetable. My first impression was uh, good because uh, he seemed very concerned about uh, peace in this uh, country. And uh, for that to happen, we cannot get peace without dialogue. He has uh, expressed it. And he also reassured everybody that uh, he is not having any pressure from uh, the junta as to prevent him from meeting with uh, some legal constituencies. So my first impression was very good. What was the topic of discussion? It was uh, mainly about uh, the length of uh, this transitional period from the junta and also from many social and political coalitions they are going for the three years term on the other hand there are some political coalition and some social uh, movements that are advocating for a shorter transitional period to reach to any consensus, we did talk about uh, those uh, demonstrations that some of the political and social leaders are prioritizing. For them, every time they hear that uh, the mediator is coming to Conakry, they try to call for demonstrations. So it was to set a clear message about it to consider dialogue and uh, for now abandon the idea of being all the time on the streets. We know that the FNDC has been demonstrating or protesting that they want a shorter time frame to return the country to civilian rule. I mean, where do political parties stand? There is no consensus as we speak among the political actors. I will tell you that uh, some of uh, the political actors are advocating for 15 months. Some are talking about uh, 24 months, so two years. My political party and the coalition that I'm leading is advocating for the three years period. And there are some uh, uh, political coalition that are advocating for even more times. So there is no consensus at all. That's why when everybody has made uh, his proposal, the junta has uh, taken the middle, which is the 36-month transitional period. Faya Milimundo is the leader of the Liberal Bloc Party of Guinea. He was speaking with us from the capital, Kunakri. 
Education officials in Cameroon say improved security in its western regions has allowed more than 200 schools that had been shot by separatist threats since 2017 to reopen for the new school year. But critics note that officials said the same thing last year, only to see scores of schools shut down again following rebel attacks. School officials on Monday assured school children, parents and teachers that their safety is assured despite ongoing rebel threats against schools that reopened. Moki Edwin Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé, Cameroon. Cameroon Defense Minister Joseph Betty Asomu said that top military and security officials met Monday to assess the security situation in the country's western regions ahead of the new school year that begins September 5. Asomo assured teachers and students that their safety in all Western schools opened by education officials will be protected by government troops. Nguang Roland Yuven is the government official in charge of secondary education in the Northwest region. Yuven says several hundred teachers have not yet reported to their respective schools. We expect all the school administrators and all the teachers to be where their schools are located. Now, if we have some communities where the issue of insecurity is at such a terrible level, it will not be me, the teacher or the principal, telling us because. All of us will see the realities on the ground. I've always reminded my collaborators, my teachers and principals, that whatever difficulty that you have, the problems should be reported. So a necessary action is taken. Bernard Okalia Bilai, the governor of Cameroon's English-speaking southwest region, says the government decided to open the schools in towns and villages where peace has returned. He says he is pleading with civilians who have kept children out of school for a long time to make sure their children have an education which is a fundamental human right. The situation being under control does not mean that we have seized all the guns circulating in some remote areas. But that is banditry. All the activities are resuming. Life is coming back to normalcy. People are moving freely, but we must remain vigilant behind the government for school to resume all over in the two regions concerned and all over the Republic. Capo Daniel is the deputy defense chief of the Ambazonia Defense Forces, one of the separatist groups. He says fighters will not allow any Cameroon government school to reopen in the English-speaking western regions. All Cameroon government schools are banned. Schools that are open are doing so under our terms. Some of those directives include students not putting on school uniforms, students not allowed to sing Cameroon national anthem, and school adopting a curriculum that reflects our ideological mindset. Daniel said under schools authorized by separatists and created by communities will be authorized to open in western regions. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yawundi, Cameroon. And that's it for this Tuesday, August 30th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for joining us this morning. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I'm James Butting, Washington, wishing that you will have a great Tuesday.
Hey, sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny and on Twitter at VOA Sunny Sports or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny side of sports right here on the Voice of America. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music from bubu music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, afrobeat to ndombolo and makosa to kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 09.05 and 20.05 UTC right after the international news. On the next Straight Talk Africa, join me, Vincent McCory, as we look at the conflict in Ethiopia's Tigray region, where one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world is ongoing. Fighting has erupted again between Ethiopian government forces and the Tigray People's Liberation Front. We'll take an in-depth look at the Tigray conflict on the next Straight Talk Africa, Wednesday at 18.30 UTC.